Welcome back to the Daniel Muggleton podcast. It's me. I'm Daniel Muggleton. I'm the guy coming to you from London, England. That's where I am currently, fresh from a wedding in Italy, in Verona. Uh, I'm here in this hemisphere uh, for the first time since Edinburgh Fringe 2022, spending some time before I kick off my first ever UK tour. June 3rd at the Monkey Barrel Comedy Club in Edinburgh before I head uh, pretty much south. Like there's not there's not too many there's not too many like double backs like going back up. Uh, heading heading south down the UK to London, then we head east, then we work our way back in. It's actually pretty goddamn convenient, I tell you. The UK is a very appropriately sized island. Uh, with enough cities that you can really plan things out quite nicely. Uh, and even if you didn't, wouldn't fucking matter because uh, the distances are that short. If you know anybody in the UK, please do let them know. Please please get them to buy tickets. Please get them to see this show. Uh, the more that I think about the show in the context of the UK, I do realize as... You know, a lot of you have seen it probably live around Australia at one of the festivals. Um, quite an Australian show. Last year's show, quite Australian as well. But this one, I would say, oh, it's not more so, but just equally because that's where I was located at the time. So I'm curious to see uh, how UK audiences like it. Uh, tickets available www.danielmuggleton.com.au. And there's a, there's a button right at the front now. I figured out how to do that. That just goes straight to the UK shows. You can, you can find them all in one place. Uh, tickets are selling. It's cool. Uh, more tickets could be sold, but uh, absolutely they are selling. And uh, I've started to lock in some of the support acts that are going to be there with me. Uh, by no means support acts. They're just friends of mine who are excellent comedians in their own right. And uh, they've agreed to, you know, waste some time on my account. So get excited for that. Uh, look, I just want to, I just want to crack on with it this week, to be honest. So, Verticoli, why don't you take us right there? The ODs and the Muglets, welcome back. Good to have you. I'm, I'm sorry if the audio today is a bit weird. As I said, on the road, on the road in my friend's living room. That's where this is being recorded. Uh, I think it sounds good, but you, you can't be 100% sure. Uh, d- despite what you might think, uh, generally at home, I do, have, I do have a proper podcasting setup. Uh, it's purely it's purely me that doesn't bring the noise. I cannot blame my tools. Um, but yes, I'm here in London. Uh, just before I started recording this, uh, I definitely heard some foxes fucking. Uh, definitely that. Definitely just that. It's. I think every continent has its own like harrowing animal sound uh, that we attribute to a certain activity. And we just never really bothered to interrogate it going forward. Like in Australia, obviously, it's it's possums. Uh, you think they're fucking or they're fighting or they're just moving around. Like you hear that un, ungodly kind of squeal in the ceiling. And you're like, yep, possums. That's what that is. Definitely no kind of evil spirit nor poltergeist. That is a possum. Lock it in 100%. 
Uh, and yeah, in the U in the UK, in London, I have decided that it's Fox's fucking. That's just this kind of yeah, yeah, like that. Like I don't, I won't keep doing it. That isn't a pre-record, by the way. That was that was me making animal sounds. Maybe a clear indication that you know it's been a big week since I last spoke to you. I basically recorded that episode, went to bed, woke up, got in a plane, uh, landed in the UK a day later, got another plane. Uh, got to a wedding and then, oh, that plane was delayed. So we got in late and then had the, you know, that now that weddings are long, it, the, the Anglo, the Anglo wedding has lengthened significantly, uh, in our, in our culture, as far as I understand, it's always been a one day wedding, a one day affair, quite a long day, but one day nonetheless. Uh, but we looked at other cultures and thought, Hey, they're doing some long fucking weddings. Why don't we get involved in that? We like, we like excuses to see each other. So yeah, I'd say what the standard wedding now, the the welcome, the night before, some kind of welcome beverage for everyone to get to know each other. Uh, then obviously the big day itself, followed by the recovery, which tends to be a, a, a brunch slash lunch type scenario. I don't know if that's the same uh, for everybody. That's basically, yeah, every every destination wedding, even if the destination is significantly closer than Verona, Italy is to Sydney, Australia. Uh, it seems to be the idea that like, hey, you're here anyway. Let's make this a fucking three-dayer, uh, not unlike a camping festival, you know? We got we got headline events every day. Uh, you're going to be feeling the effects of the day before, the day after, that kind of energy. Like, you know, I definitely went pretty goddamn hard at those welcome drinks. Uh, so on the wedding day itself, I was I was probably grumpy until about the main course. I reckon that was that was when I got my got my wings back, uh, and you know then obviously got absolutely rat <laughs> at the at the reception because you're supposed to. That's what you're supposed to do. Um, it was good. It was a good time. It was I learned because uh, it was a uh, my friend my friend who I lived with uh, in London uh, married a a Finnish girl, and I learned about the Finnish wedding tradition of hiding they hide bottles of vodka around the reception area like they don't tell you they're doing it it's not like a game it's just that they hide three bottles of vodka um you know not not unlike a stay-at-home alcoholic mother you'd have to say bottles of vodka in discreet locations around the place so you can access them have a nip and then get back to what you want to be doing uh, and I, I wasn't under, I wasn't, I thought it might've been like some kind of Easter egg hunt type scenario where you find the vodka and then you get to keep the vodka and distribute it as you see fit. But no, uh, you, you have a swig of the bottle, then leave it there for other people to find. And I, I gotta say, I was slightly upset about the, uh, COVIDification of this tradition because generally I believe it's a swig from the bottle. Uh, but at this wedding, there were some plastic cups provided, uh, not leaning into Scandinavian recycling habits. But as I found out at the wedding, Finland is a Nordic country, but not part of Scandinavia. How weird is that? Like they're not in there. Denmark's in there, even though, you know, you know how maps work. Norway's there. Sweden's there. Finland's there in that top bit. Denmark's in the bottom bit, connected by a fucking bridge to Sweden. But it gets to be part of Scandinavia and Finland doesn't. Seems rude. Seems a little bit hurtful. That'd be like if we, you know, as Australia and New Zealand 
kind of went to, I don't know, Fiji. And we're like, hey, guys, you're not part of Oceania anymore. And they're like, whoa, but we're like so surrounded by ocean boys. And like, sorry, mate, you're part of, you're part of the Southern Hemisphere, but not part of Oceania. That's just for us. Uh, and obviously in the case of Australia and New Zealand uh, jettisoning Fiji, there probably would be some more racial elements included in that. But luckily uh, for the Norwegians, Swedes, Danes and Finns, uh, they're white as, so you can't even you can't even say it's a racial thing. Uh, but I'm sure, I'm sure they'll try to say there are differences. They're not. They're all the same country. We know the truth. Uh, <laughs> like IKEA furniture, they're slightly different shades. But fuck me, the Billy the bookcase is the same wherever you get it. Um, so yes, that was that was a Finnish wedding tradition. I learnt um, the Australian wedding tradition that the Finns learnt was that when you play the Eagle Rock, you take your pants down and kind of wander around. And i got to say, there's there's a photo of all of us doing that. It was a silent disco. I would like to apologize uh, for participating in a silent disco for anyone who's been a fan, nor friend, nor colleague of mine. Why was I saying nor? <laughs> a fan or friend or colleague of mine. All right, that was that was smooth. First, first little mispronunciation of the show. Uh, anyone who knows me at all really knows just how much I hate silent discos. Um, but at this particular wedding, apparently the band could only play it for a certain amount of time before there was some kind of noise restriction thing, which is fucking absurd because it was in some weird Italian villa in the middle of nowhere. I don't know how anybody could have heard anything and the idea that there's wildlife that they could disturb. Come on. It's Europe. There's no wildlife. There's just foxes fucking in this London backyard. Sorry, just just to just to tangentialize a little bit here. Um, if you haven't been to London before, foxes are just around. Like they're this is this is how I'd like to describe it. Especially, I think this 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 analogy works for everybody. Foxes are around in London the same way that Americans think kangaroos are around in Australia. You know. Like, I think most countries have this perception of Australia that we're like some kind of, you know, animal farm with without the, you know, uh, anti-capitalist overtones. <laughs> but just like, you know, that city farm thing where there's like a there's like a farm in the city and the kids go there and you get to pat a goat and you're like, okay, now you're now you're a proper Australian, blah blah blah. But like, the idea is that in Australia there are just kangaroos kind of around on the streets, like you know. Like, because there are lots of kangaroos in Australia. There's too many kangaroos in Australia, as we tried to explain to an Italian chef. It was like, oh, you guys you guys eat kangaroos like we eat horses. And it's like, well, no, we eat kangaroos because they're a pest and they're destroying the countryside. Uh, you eat horses because you're morally inferior to us. Clear? So, uh, yeah, most people, I think, think that... <laughs> Oh, every now, every now and again, this gets a little bit, this gets a little bit spicy, doesn't it? Uh, but look, I, maybe it's the jet lag. I will blame that. So, uh, people think that kangaroos are just around in Australia because if you come to Australia and leave the city, odds are you'll probably see a kangaroo, uh, very least as like roadkill, um, but most likely alive, like just at the edge of a farm near a paddock, like just around. Like there are heaps of kangaroos in Australia to the point where people are paid to hunt them because there are too many 
because we didn't kill any of them for fucking ages because they're on the coat of arms. And we realized, oh, wait, no, these fuckers are actually a bit of a problem. So now you do get to kill them. Just just in case anybody doesn't have the quick Australia 101 on that. But yeah, in London, like I knew there were foxes in the UK, but I assumed to encounter them, you'd have to leave the city like with a kangaroo. You'd have to go to like at least a semi-rural area, like just, just something where there's a bit of nature. And obviously, you know, this is the UK. There's been people here cultivating it in an agricultural fashion uh, for an incredibly long time. So there is no nature here. Uh, but foxes are everywhere. Like I, I'm staying pretty close to the center of London, E2, for anyone who like, likes to follow little digits on that one. That basically means one E further east than E1. What, a, what an accurate and useful uh, footnote there, Daniel. Well done. But yes, so they're, they're, this is very close to the city. Like I could walk to London's financial district in half an hour and I've seen a fox like twice already today. And I've only been here for about 10 hours. So like, this is what I mean. They're just around. Like when I was walking home with my pizza like an hour ago, there was a fox just there like kind of it, it went into the house before the house that I went into, you know? <laughs> like there was the footpath for the fox. The next footpath is where I turned left. Like this is how present foxes are. So that, that's just what, because I just, I found that really surprising. Like I remember when I was living here, I found that incredibly surprising. That they're just kind of like around. And I guess to the point where, like not that anyone has outdoor cats anymore, but like you'd have to be careful, right? Like a fox could genuinely take your cat. Like if you had chickens in the London city center, I'm not saying you do. I'm not saying you would. I'm just saying like, that there is a level of fox presence that means if you had, here we go, an actual example, a rabbit in a hutch, you know, like in Australian backyards, there's a rabbit in a hutch, the rabbit's probably going to be fine. There aren't really any natural predators of the rabbit just roaming around the Sydney suburbs. Ba-bow, in London, there's a fox, it'll eat it. Done. Whew, we got there. I just, you know when you have like a good analogy that you find interesting and you want to tell other people that and then in explaining it you make it so fucking complicated that even the foxes fucking in the backyard have stopped to shake their head disappointed disappointed in your inability to convey a simple point but sorry the wedding we're talking about the wedding we're talking about what we're talking about with the wedding we're talking about something the traditions we did the finnish thing we did the australian thing with the eagle rock Oof, was that it? Did we finish that? Did we finish that point about the Eagle Rock? How you just dack yourself when the Eagle Rock comes on? And I don't really understand why. This is another one of those moments where I've had a few people message me this, being like, is there is there any way, Daniel, that you could in- integrate something into the podcast where, or at least just as a way to communicate with you, where when you say something mortally incorrect we get to scream at you via voice note or something our displeasure or i think sometimes just the answer because they're like for the love of god he's going around and around and around we just want him to move on we know the answer breaker morant was from the boar war you fucking idiot it had nothing to do with the man from snowy river would have been a good name for that character though just saying uh but yes Fuck it, whatever I had to say, if it's important, it'll come back up. 
I want to talk about the wedding. I want to talk about the wedding thing that we, the destination bit of the wedding where everyone wants to go somewhere else for their wedding, which is fine, which is fine. This was an Australian guy marrying a Finnish girl. So Australia is a long way away from Finland. So they chose a middle ground, which was inconvenient for all parties, just like my friends in Australia who are from Sydney and Melbourne and got married in Canberra. Sometimes a midpoint is convenient for nobody. That's it. That's the whole <laughs> That's the whole lesson I was trying to convey there. But it was lovely to go to lovely to go to Italy for the wedding. Went to Verona. Uh, didn't really see anything in Verona because we stayed at a villa. My friends that I was staying with, it was old house. We used to live together. That's how we became close. Uh, all housemates, all six of us living in Redfern there for a bit. Um, they were like, let's let's rekindle the housemate experience and uh, all live together and kind of give each other the shits for a couple of days. Why not? Bit of fun. But I will say one thing about the villa. Like I get it. I like, don't get me wrong. I get it conceptually. Personally, I don't know why you want to live in an old house that's not near anything. Because I don't know if you know about these like villas that you can rent in Europe. That seems to be like a big, a big hustle. Uh, you kind of got a taste of it in White Lotus season two, where the guy owns the villa and is like, hey, this is like a setting for these fun things we're going to do. Um, fun things they're going to do in that was uh, attempted murder and cocaine. Way. So, uh, I, I get it. Like people, it's, it's pretty, it's like, it's got huge gardens. There's like grounds. You're like, Oh, isn't this nice? But the one thing with the villa that I definitely always notice is fuck me. It gives them, it gives them a bit of leeway for the quality of the property because, you know, if you're in a hotel and none of the PowerPoints are the current size <laughs> like i don't know i don't know when this happened but apparently european powerpoints which are the which are the circles the two cylinders for anybody who hasn't done the europe thing before it's got the two kind of cylindrical uh points like the american ones are square these ones are cylindrical they don't have the third prong like australia uh and the uk like they just changed sizes in Italy because according to this old property, there was like one PowerPoint per room that could handle the adapter. Every other PowerPoint was like, nah, bro, that thing is, that, that's a fucking chode if you ask me. Too thick, too girthy. You're not getting in here. And then just other stuff like, I don't know, there was like a pool table. There was like this kind of old pool table. And I'm like, oh, cool. We could play a game of pool. That's fun. And then like you take the cues out and they're just kind of worn down to nubs. And like the table itself is kind of in this weird state of like semi disrepair. Like it's not like a pub pool table where there's heaps of beer spilt on the, on like the um, material on top, the felt. There we go. The felt. Finally, I got one before people started yelling. The felt on top was fine, but it was just the table itself was just kind of in bad shape. So you play the game and like it's on this harsh angle so you can't really play a good game of pool. And then like all the floors are just like these weird slipping hazards and like every doorway is obviously like a lot shorter than a modern doorway. So you just got to duck constantly. And it's just like, you know, things that are like all the modern luxuries are gone. And like, I think, whereas you'd expect a level of upkeep in a hotel or whatever else, 
Like in a villa, it's kind of like, oh, but isn't it charming? Isn't it, isn't it rustic? Ooh, it's a rustic villa. Like that way, like we don't need to repair this crack in the floor. <laughs> anyway, that was just something I thought about with that whole experience. Uh, we did that. I'm just trying to think. I had some stuff from the wedding that I definitely wanted to go through. Oh, the speeches. Oh, red hot speech section at the wedding. Uh, I think this is the second time I've talked about a wedding on the podcast. Um, or maybe third. I think it was the third, of course. Um, lots of different weddings going on this year. I'm, I'm 33. This is just what happens. Uh, with a speech. Look, I, this, this was, these, are, these are two quite proper people who are getting married. They're both lawyers. Uh, they, both, they both come from, you know, just kind of put together families. And so I was expecting not like a stilted affair, but like a very, very dignified, you know. Um, the bride said the word cunt into the microphone. Don't worry, I'll explain. Um, but you would never. <laughs> in a million years going in, I was like, there's no way I'm going to hear the bride say cunt into a microphone during her mother's speech today. Like, there's no way that's going to happen. But it did, and I was there, and it was kind of awesome. I rated it, I think. I, I think I liked it. I think, because this, I don't know about you guys, I consider a wedding toast, like a wedding speech, like you don't really curse. You don't really swear. And I'm a big fucking fan of swearing, as anyone who listens to this knows. Fucking love it. Can't get enough. But I feel like those things you just don't, like it's not really appropriate for that. But the way this happened was uh, during the mother's speech, the mother's finish, um, she was quizzing the groom on his finish, which fun, fun game, rated it. Uh, so she asked him questions in Finnish related to her daughter and then he would have to respond in Finnish in front of everybody. And I think the first one, oh, I think the first one was like, who takes the bins out um, in your marriage? And he said, thank you, which was good. You know what I mean? Like, kitos, like just yeah, good start. Like just, just, he didn't get it right, obviously, but you can't really offend anybody with that. And then she went another one. And I assume he must have thought it had something to do with like, who, who do you love and who's the best thing that's ever happened to you? And he said his wife's name. Uh, and then in the third one, there was more Finnish words. And he said something in Finnish and all the Finnish people started cheering. And I was like, holy shit, he got one right. That's incredible. And then everyone, then I realized it was only... <laughs> Then I realized it was only the young Finnish men who were cheering. And I'm like, oh, that's never a good sign. And uh, the, the bride then took the microphone and said, he said this. And then everyone's like, what does it mean? And then she into the microphone said, cunt Satan. <laughs> cunt Satan. Apparently that's just like, a regular Finnish curse word. Like it's not like particularly offensive or anything. It's kind of like, I don't know the way, the way it seemed to be described to me is like, they'd be like, Oh damn. Like if they drop something, they'd be like, cunt Satan like that. Like, you know, like, Oh, you spill, you spill your drink on your pants. You're like, you're rubbing them. Ah, cunt Satan. And 
So to explain what he had said and got a rousing response, she said cunt Satan, which obviously just immediately won over every Australian person in the room. Saying cunt is really how to get us on the side. And then the mother laughed and then the speeches just continued. And I was like, this is fucking unprecedented. I've never, and I've got, you know, some some fairly bogan sorts on both sides of my family. I've never, I, I've never and I would never hear any of them say cunt into the microphone at their own wedding. Not even close. But then the floodgates were open after that. The best man speech featured, I reckon, I reckon four or five F's and Jeff's. You know what I'm saying? Bit of F'ing and Jeff'ing for them, bit of fucking and shitting. And everyone seemed to enjoy it. I don't know. I still, look, call me a conservative old fuddy-duddy. I just think leave the, leave the cursing out of the wedding speeches, obviously outside the state of Queensland where it's very much encouraged. Um, yeah, I don't know, but it was very funny. It was like, I mean, just an amazing Hail Mary from the groom on that one. You know, like think about how poorly that could have gone down if he said, cunt Satan, this is to her mother. Like she, the mother was the one, like his his bride's, his new wife's mother was the one asking the questions in front of the majority of her family and his answer to one of them was cunt Satan and it was a big win. I would argue his biggest laugh, biggest cheer of the night, especially from the Finnish contingent. Mate, high risk, high return. You do love to see it. Uh, and I'm just trying to think, was there anything else? Anything else from the old the old wedding? Oh, that was it. That's what I was... Why don't I like weddings? Well, no, sorry. That's, that's untrue. I don't dislike weddings. I dislike everybody getting dressed up. That gives me the shits because there was a bit of photo shoot at the villa. I was hungover. I was being a grump. I was like, no thanks. And then... I was hanging out with one of my friend's partners and she was like, who do you think is the best dressed man here? And I was like, Ugh, like you're asking the wrong person, man. I don't fucking know. And she's like, oh, but you know, you think people look good, right? And I'm like, yeah, I mean, everyone's got suits on. Like I don't, I don't, I don't get the thing about, all right, how can I, I don't get this is what I don't like about the whole, you know, wear this type of outfit and then you put your own little personal touch on it. It's like, yeah, it's it's lounge wear, not evening wear. It's not black tie. It's formal. It, you know, all these fucking jargon ass words that basically mean I have to, you know, take my suit to the dry cleaner again at the end of everything. I just don't like it because it just homogenizes everybody. Now... I'm not I'm not someone who takes particular pride in their appearance, which which is why I, I will rue the day when inevitably I have to fucking record this podcast visually as well as audibly. Um but yeah, I that said, being back in London especially reminded me how much I like a bit of street style, like how much I rate when someone just leans into whatever their look is and just struts around like that every day because they want to. Like, I think that's awesome. Like, there's no, there's no invitation. There's no, there's no dress code. They're just choosing to look a certain way 
and then go and lean as hard into that as they fucking want. Like I saw this guy getting like photos done outside one of the one of the markets here, and it was like a lime green suit with like a big hat and kind of these reddish shoes. Um, black guy, obviously. A white guy wearing that would be fucking atrocious. Um, <laughs> right? Like, come on. Like, there's just white people. We cannot pull that off. We don't have the confidence. We don't have the style. Like, maybe David Bowie? Maybe. But even then, huge risk. This guy fucking crushing it. Uh, anyway, someone's taking photos of him, and I assumed it was like some kind of modeling thing. And then he, they just like went their separate ways. No, he just looked so awesome that a guy with a camera felt the need to record it. And I'm like, hell yeah. And you know what? You know what made that so much better? It's that everyone around him wasn't also wearing a fucking zoot suit style thing. You know, he chose to do that and go so far beyond what was expected, which the dress code in most times I've found at least is, don't be naked. That's the main, like in society, as long as you're not naked slash wearing a hate symbol, everyone's pretty chill. Like that's whatever you do, you know, but that's what I like. Whereas it's just the, the wedding thing is just such a homogenous thing. Like everyone tries to look the most like everybody else while retaining kind of some sense of individuality. And I, I hate that. It's just like, just let motherfuckers, dress how they want to dress. And now, obviously, I'm not saying... I'm not stupid. I'm not saying that weddings shouldn't have dress codes because they should. They need them. People need to be told almost exactly what to do at all times. I still... One of my best friends in the world, we still have this debate about his wedding where he's like, I don't want a seating plan. People should be able to find their own tables. And I'm like, as someone who's done comedy and put on comedy shows for a decade now, you are out of your goddamn mind. Not only do people need to be told what to do, they need to be reminded of it throughout. Like, it's incredible just like, hey, you guys need to walk in this room at the time it says on the ticket and sit in a seat near the stage. And they're like, no, nah, I'm going to get there 10 minutes after it starts because I've got some weird idea about what time the actual performance will start even though I've never been to comedy before and uh, I will neglect the open chairs on the stage and uh, sit on the reserve signs at the stool at the back, which are clearly there for other performers slash technical staff uh, because even though I've left my house to be here, I don't want to be close enough where I could become part of the show. By God, tell them exactly what to do at any given time. That is the only, only way. Um, but yeah, it was, it was funny cause I didn't really think about why it bothered me until she asked me the question and yeah, it's, it's funny. Like, and this is obviously going to seem like, um, uh, a, a bad thing for someone who hosts a solo podcast to say, but I really don't think I realize what I think about stuff until someone asks me. <laughs> I don't, and that, and the thing is, it's not like they ask me and then I have some big fucking pause and then I formulate something and then come out with it. Uh, but like, I need someone to prompt me. Like the thought has already been had. I've already kind of figured out what I think, but without the prompt, I would never think to tell you. 
I think I think that's the best way I can describe that. But oh, sorry. Side note. Um, on the speeches, uh, this this thing happened, and now look, this thing is fine. Uh, it is annoying, but it's fine. Where we were, we were in. There were two rooms in the wedding. There was like kind of like the main room of all the families, and there was kind of like the friends and ring-ins in the other side. And uh, one of the one of the guys was actually the the brother of the bride's father, her uncle. Man, fuck, you can get there quicker, can't you? Um, he started speeches going in our room, just like a little impromptu fun thing, which is a very a very classy move, I thought, to be like, hey, we got to go to the other room for those speeches. Why don't we have our own thing in here? Um, and basically, uh, because I'm a comedian um, and people people know, um, and not just because I tell them. Some people have found out on their own. I want to make that clear. Um, they're like, so, Dan, obviously you're going to be speaking. And I'm just there, you know, trying to drink my flights back. <laughs> drink and eat my flights back. It's not just Aperol spritzes, guys. You got to get into the steak as well. But I'm just like, uh, like... Not, not that I dislike speaking. Obviously, I love speaking. Big, big fan. Can't get enough. Doing it right now. But like the the thing where it's just expected that I'm going to and I've got something to say ready to go. Like, and, you know, obviously no one gives a shit if I do a, a subpar impromptu speech in the, in the B room without a microphone. Like no one actually cares, but I care. Because I'm like, hey, this is a gig and if if I bomb, I don't get paid. And obviously I'm mentioning this on the podcast so I can uh, write off my room in the villa for tax purposes. Um, now it's research for an upcoming project. Hooray. But yeah, it just it's funny because people defend me now, which I think is quite cute. Like my friends, like they get, they get kind of behind me and they get up people who are kind of like, oh, go on, tell us a joke. Like uh, my mate was like, yeah, it's like going up to me and like he's, a, he's like a doctor. It's like, do, do us a surgery. And I was like, well, Sam, like the difference is that people enjoy watching what I do. <laughs> Which is the kind of conceited shit that makes you have to give impromptu speeches at weddings. But yeah, it's just, I don't know. I still remember this so clearly because I'm like, what kind of fucking dickhead would be like, go on, tell us a joke. You're a comedian. But I remembered one time when I ran the open mic, a magician came down and I was like, do you have a trick that you show people when they say, oh, do a trick. Come on, do a trick. Because, like, you know, I got some street jokes that I'll do. Like I'll tend, I'll tend to do those because like they're fun as well, but they just get you out of it and it's not your joke. So you're not really invested in the outcome. Um but yeah, I still remember this so vividly. It was in the it was in the back of the record crate, which is where I used to run the mug and kettle open mic. And he was there. It was by the side door, and he was like, "Yeah, I've got this thing with cigarettes." And he brought a cigarette out. He's like, "See, it seems structurally sound." He does that magician thing where they, you know, tap various parts of the object to be like, "Oh, it's a real cigarette." And I'm like, "Yeah, good." And he's like, "But actually, you can crush it." And he like put his hands either side of it and then push them together into like kind of a prayer symbol. Um, and then I saw the cigarette poking out behind his thumb. And instead of saying, Oh, nice. I said, Oh, but I can see the cigarette is behind your thumb. 
the look of disappointment on his face. Not look in my and in my mind, and I don't even like magicians. I don't. I don't think that I'm being overly fair to them. But it wasn't. He wasn't upset that he didn't do the trick well. He was upset that someone who was asking this, asking him this question because he also found it annoying when he was asked to perform for nothing for no reason was not not just to ask that question but then for when his response wasn't satisfactory pointing it out <laughs> what a cunt i am a cunt satan you heard it here first oh man so one one more this is this is this look clearly as you've realized this episode is is mainly uh, a recount a recounting of this wedding um and the other thing i was going to say the the father of the bride i think is always a pretty bad speech like i don't know it was funny actually because the the mcs were kind of making it like the best man was like the main event speech which i think is most people would probably assume or like at least you know in terms of What's going to be the most entertaining? What's going to get the most laughs? It's usually the best man's speech. It usually, um, you know, goes last before the couple themselves just kind of say thank you and all that kind of stuff. Like, you know, it is the thing that people kind of go up like, oh, you got the best man's. Like, who, who is he? Who, who is it? Is he funny? Is he going to be good? Like, you know, you, there's kind of an expectation around the best man's speech. That's what I'm looking for. Expectation. And it was funny that they just spelt it out, which is just so fucking Scandinavian, even though they're not. Apparently, it's just Nordic. So... Um, they were building up the best man speeches. The father of bride always pretty tricky, um, just because like their dads and like probably the only person that they feel emotional about in that way is their daughter. Uh, so they haven't really had any practice in communicating that to anybody. <laughs> So they struggle, usually, usually. And I thought old mate was going to struggle with this one because he did the classic move for the father of the bride, which is to open with a quote. I don't know what it is. Like something about dads are like, I couldn't possibly put this into words myself. So I'll vigorously research somebody who said something about love or parenting or marriage or life and just fucking started out there. I have seen some where they just keep doing it. <laughs> they become a fucking coffee table book of inspirational quotes. Uh, but no, this guy started that way and I was like, oh boy. But man, might've been, might've been one of the greatest I've ever seen. I think it, it wasn't, if not the greatest, top two, Father of the Brides. He he not only opened with a quote, he closed with a quote, and then during the middle, it was an extended metaphor about winemaking because Verona is like a wine-heavy region, and he basically analogized the winemaking process to falling in love and then marrying somebody. And look, that was pretty red hot. But easily the best bit is he casually and correctly dropped references to both White Lotus and Succession. Whew. 
that's that's pretty impressive. Like this motherfucker, I think is technically a boomer. Yeah, I, I'd say so. He must have been. And to get Succession and White Lotus right, like casually, effectively dropped as cultural touchstones four points he was making in the speech. Fuck me, that's impressive. You know, like like my dad, I would just hope that he gets through it without referencing anybody who has died (laughs) like a celebrity who he thinks is alive but is actually dead or obviously just saying something in bad taste like that i think that's that's what most people hope for from a dad right just like hey if he can get through five consecutive minutes of public speaking without calling any group them or those people Great job. <laughs> Great fucking job. But I do also think he'd probably get through it without saying cunt Satan. So there's different there's different cultural <laughs> there's different cultural expectations at a wedding. Uh, but yes, that was that was where I've been. Uh, I've just I've just left Italy this morning actually, and I, I'm now back uh, in London. Um, and that's sorry, I will just point out that it has just become Tuesday in London. So while if you're an Australian listener, you're like, fucking Dan, he's releasing the episode late. It's supposed to be out on Tuesdays. It's not out yet. Um, fuck you, dude. Uh, it is Tuesday here. And it's also Tuesday there. Like It's just later on Tuesday that I tend to release them. Um, but yes, that was that was the wedding. It was a very lovely wedding. It's always, I think, I don't know. I I have never managed to be cynical enough that by the end of a wedding, I'm not like, oh, that was so nice. They love each other. They're going to be together forever. Statistically untrue. But every time, every time I'm like, fuck yeah, dude. I love them. I hope they're very happy. And not just because they're letting me record this in their house uh, because they're in their honeymoon. And they're like, Dan, it's all yours, brother. You let us know if the foxes are consummating our marriage for us. <laughs> and they are. And they goddamn are. All right. Uh, I, reckon, I reckon that's it. Uh, I just, you know, wanted to, wanted to get the app out. Want a nice quick one, a quick debrief, a wedding debrief. Uh, I feel like there's going to be plenty more on the way. Uh, as the tour kicks off, uh, next next episode should be coming to you from Barcelona, I believe. Yeah, I'll be I'll be in Barcelona, so not quite sure how we're going to navigate that one, but I will figure it out, and you will hear from me next Tuesday, uh, if not slightly before, if I manage to find uh, a British comedian to interview, but I should also be popping up on some UK podcasts in the next few weeks as well. So as always, just follow me on social media at Dan Muggleton to keep up with all that stuff. Uh, Instagram tends to be where I post most of the stuff. Facebook as well. If you know, if you, if you are in a slightly older age group and if you've enjoyed the podcast, please take a second to give it a little five star on Spotify 
tell your mates about it. I do know that the last few weeks have been a bit scattered, but that is because I have been scattered and traveling a lot, uh, just a lot. But that does mean there's plenty for me to talk about. Oh, fuck. Sorry. That was the one thing that I want to say. Okay. 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 Just quick one, quick one, air travel story. Just a thing in the in the Verona airport today. Uh, it was like a regional Italian airport. Uh, so there was no like automated anything. All the check-ins were done by people. Whoa, what year is it? 2017? The check-ins were done by people. And you just kind of have to wait in one big line. And then you got to dump your bag. There wasn't like bag drop or anything like that. And I just noticed a cultural phenomenon that I'd never seen before. Um, and two out of three people did it. So I'm pretty sure it means all Italians do it. When they checked in, there were some issues with the bags. It was like they couldn't, they, cause you know how, I don't know if you guys know this, like the budget airlines in Europe, like the bags are just getting smaller and smaller and smaller. Um, it's kind of the opposite of the, of the, um, outlets for the, for the, uh, adapters, which are getting bigger and bigger and bigger apparently. Um, like used to start out there was like you know no check-in bag for free yeah fair enough but you can bring hand luggage no dramas and then it's like oh there's a certain kind and size of hand luggage you're allowed to bring and they're like yep yeah not a problem like you know it's like a rolly bag but not like the big rolly bag like the little rolly bag and now they're like unless you pay extra you can only bring a backpack <laughs> like now the cabin bag costs extra as well like i'm very excited for the you know logical endpoint of all this where it's like you get to bring a wallet, uh, but not a wallet with a coin purse, only a wallet with cards. Uh, money clips are also considered okay. And uh, it will cost you an extra five euro if you would like a seat belt uh, that clicks together. Uh, otherwise, they do have some rope that they can wrap around the seat and you can tie into a bow. So that, that would be the standard issue of that. It is really funny. They just like keep taking things away and making you pay for it. And I'm like, at what point is it a standing flight? You know, like at what point? And do I care? When you can get somewhere for 20 euros, like both ways. I think, yeah, I'll, I'll, I'll stand and fucking rope myself to the cunt in front of me. Why not? Um, anyway, so they were trying to check in. Their bags were, the bags were slightly too big. And they were arguing with the, with the people. And, you know, as a, as a uh, frequently tired traveler, arguing with airport staff is uh, one of the great joys in life. But both of them, mid-argument, at the counter, like the, you know, it's, it's them, the counter, the baggage conveyor belt, like are you going to pay the extra money or are you going to get a different bag, blah, 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 blah. Both of them called someone. And not like AirPods. There was a noticeable lack of AirPods in Italy, actually. These guys got their phone out and like while they're talking to the person, called someone and like explained like it wasn't a helpline it was like clearly someone they knew like just their friend or like i don't know if it's like who dropped them off or like someone they're about to meet it was so bizarre it was like you're in this situation that no one can help you like the the staff are there like they've they've made you measure the bag it's too big so you're gonna have to check it in it's gonna cost you 22 euros or whatever the fuck i was eavesdropping uh, <laughs> who are you calling? Who are you going to call? Like, genuinely, 
Who are you calling? Like, what could anyone do for you in that situation unless you're somehow connected to one of the, the higher-ups, one of the bigwigs in the old EasyJet Verona department? And, like, the calls were quick. But, like, they see, like, both of them kind of seem to do the same thing. And I'm just like... You're like calling a family member who's like waiting in the car park with a slightly smaller bag. Like what could happen? I just, I just don't know how that could possibly play out. Like who coming to get you like is in, or like it's someone else that they're flying with. Who's got like the baggage already on their thing, but surely then you wouldn't call them cause they're not going to come to the front of the line. Just get back in the line. So bizarre. I was thinking about it all flight until I was thinking about it all flight until one of the stewardesses, when the guy was saying like, oh yeah, my chair's kind of leaning back a little bit. Is there something I do to the button? She's like, oh yeah, this is just a really old plane. I got on here and I was like, holy shit, this plane's old. I'm amazed they're flying with it. And I'm like, well now, so am I. <laughs> it's just not one of those sentences that you want to hear in midair. You know, you don't want to be on a plane in the air and have someone whose job is to fly whatever fucking bottom of the cereal box planes that EasyJet tends to work with and then be like, nah, but this one is old. Like this, this is, this is a goddamn stale plane. Like this plane, man, I haven't, I haven't seen one of these since. And she wasn't, oh, I don't know. It was just an incredibly disconcerting thing. I like to think that my fear of flying is pretty gone these days. But when you're on a plane that has a little like mesh, like very loose mesh, like a like a like a fishing net that hasn't really caught anything in a while, just that very loose mesh to like put things in the seat in front of you, then the the flight attendant's like, Yeah, this plane is old. Like I've never been on one this old before. I just know about it from folklore and tales of of, of stewardesses of old. Like, I was surprised it wasn't a fucking smoking section. Uh, but we landed. Everything's fine. All right. That's it. That's all. Quick pod. Quick pod this week. I hope you enjoyed it. Tell people uh, the tour begins in earnest in just over a week. One more episode before that all happens. Then I'll keep you guys updated on the road. My first ever UK tour. My first ever international tour. The idea that it's happening seems so fucking insane, but we've already sold like 300 tickets. So it's pretty awesome, man. It's pretty nice. As always, due to your support, appreciate it. Muglets, ODs, I will see you next Tuesday. Cheers. Have a good one. Verticoli, come on, get us there.